Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the CCW Safe Podcast. I am Rob High here in Oklahoma City. Um, my co-host there, Phil Naiman. Phil, where are you at today? I'm in Prescott, beautiful Prescott. Good for you. Um, and today we are honored to have uh, Mr. Craig Douglas join us. Uh, Craig has uh, spent a career in law enforcement. He is uh, part of the ShivWorks Collective that has developed a lot of really, really salty um, self-defense stuff to supplement your concealed carry life with. Um, and for those of you that have never given thought to how to actually hold on to your your firearm or your knife or whatever it is, or to be entangled with somebody that is doing the same. Um, it is an entirely different kind of training. Um, so Craig, buddy, thank you so much for hopping on and kind of, kind of give our, our folks a little bit of your history and how you got to where you did and what, what kind of pressed you to, um, do the work and develop the stuff that you guys have, have done and continue to evolve and get better and, and make things uh, safer for our community. Sure. Well, uh, first of all, Rob, thank you for uh, having me on the podcast and connect me, connecting me to your audience. And yeah, so uh, I uh, was a lifelong martial artist, uh, served 80-0 Ranger Regiment, Came out, uh, went to law enforcement, had a law enforcement career from my uh, uh, 21 years that I retired from, from 1990 to 2011. Uh, most of that was spent as uh, a, a drug cop, a SWAT cop, or both simultaneously. I held a collateral duty as the primary defensive tactics instructor at our police academy and uh, formally started teaching armed populations, motor skills and tactics in 1992. So that's three, one year. So I've been doing that. Um, and then I uh, began open enrollment training for regular people in uh, 2003 under the brand uh, ShivWorks globally. And now I teach in uh, 48 states, 11 countries outside of the U.S., all four branches of the military, uh, most federal law enforcement agencies, and I have a standing contract within a small section of the intelligence community. I've held that for the past eight years. So uh, I spend about 40 weeks a year on the road uh, teaching uh, probably niche black swan horrific events that uh, kind of mirrored my um, some of the things that happened to me in a two-year undercover stint uh, while I was working in the but mainly, uh, what's a what is a gunfight within arm's reach when both parties are grabbing each other? The word we use to describe that is intent. Uh, what does that look like standing or grounded? Um, what does uh, an interior movement problem by yourself with um, you know uh, a lot of ambiguity? That's not necessarily uh, you know uh, an assaulter CQB type scenario. Uh, solo structure movement tactics. Uh, I teach those uh, both open and closed enrollment. And then <clears throat> uh, interior uh, vehicle based combatives. I'm, I'm fairly well known for that. Kind of created the strategy template for that. Presented that in 2006. And then we've, uh, we're obviously known for, you know, uh, edged weapons training and uh, blade wear chivalrous products group. You know, we have uh, a ton of. Uh, our products designed mostly by me and uh, take it into production overseas to bring a reasonable price point. So that's about it. You know, uh, probably uh, I tend to dwell in, in the deep crevices of the training community. I'm, I'm not a generalist. Um, I don't do GP, you know, concealed carry type courses, that kind of thing. They're, they're very focused on a, a, a very narrow length. You know, that, that's something that has, it's grown so much. Um, I don't know if you ever went through any of the, the uh, Lindell handgun retentions years back. Yeah. And it was, you know, it, it was 
what was out there. It was what was available. Um, I've, I've gone through Jim's training. I've, I've, I was certified on all his stuff. Um, I was just always so taken back by the fact that we have, by, by definition, we have a, a lethal assault on us and we're responding with mechanical control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're doing 10 steps to uh, fine motor skill stuff to get into a wrist lock when somebody's trying to take their gun and kill us with it. Yeah. <clears throat> so the stuff that you are building, the, the program that you have developed is so, so good. Um, I, I went through DOJ's rest and control instructor program 20 something years ago. Sure. Um, and that was the first time outside of my police department that I'd ever run across anybody else that was, that was actually grappling and working and, and doing things with firearms. And for, for people that are beginning to develop that skill set, I, I just think it's so critical that that's something you need to put on your list. Um, I, I still, you know, I started your class out at Mead Hall last last year and yep. you'd had some issues and and then I woke up sick the next day and, and it was like, yeah, I'm just not going to expose everybody to whatever this thing is I had at the time. But uh, I am still very anxiously looking forward to to getting through your stuff. So um you should come out this weekend because I'm at Mead Hall this weekend. <laughs> I'm at Indy at NRA. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. I know. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I wish. Yeah, Bill had already told me that. Love to have you back. Yeah, Bill. Bill had already told me that you were coming back. So, uh, but I'll I'll get back out there. We'll yeah. we'll we'll cross paths somewhere in this in this big flat Earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So kind of tell me how you came about this evolution. What what are the things that that kind of directed you? And I think I think it was on duty stuff that exposed you to that things happen in a car and oh my God. You know, most people don't even practice drawing a firearm, much less from concealment or entanglement or anything else. Right, right. Even with a seatbelt. Yeah. Well, basically, um, you know, I was uh, I was Daniel LaRusso when I was a kid. I was the, the skinny kid with the birthmark that was uh, scuffed up and beat up. Who, his grandfather was putting in martial arts uh, in 1973. So, um, you know, uh, old school, uh, that's all we had, Taekwondo. Um, so I was a martial arts nerd, you know, at, at a sure survival instinct and, and did martial arts and have done martial arts and combat sports now. So I'm 55. So yeah, 50 years this year, I guess I've been doing martial arts uh, and combat sports of some type fairly steadily breaks, obviously uh, due to work, but I had done, uh, I had done all that stuff. And, you know, I, I'd been through various combatives course uh, courses. Uh, I, I, I was sent to the, police academy because i had a good rear naked choke and at the time 1990 when i hired on the sheriff's department we didn't really have anything we, we didn't even have an oc we had 36 inch hickory batons we're in, in the jail where we're pretty much every southern deputy starts you know is with a, a year or two in the jail that's where most guys start but i uh, slapped a rear naked choke on a guy i had a good one from an old judo dude that i used to train with when i was a teenager and uh that just was like a magic trick so they sent me you know, to defensive tactics, and that led to the, the collateral duty of teaching. So um, the UFC comes out in 1993, um, starts to kind of change things in the martial arts world. I enter uh, an undercover assignment, uh, a two-year undercover assignment, uh, 1996 through 1998. And um, there were some, some fairly seminal, there, there were a number of things that happened but there were fairly, uh, there were two fairly uh, seminal events uh, where uh, basically I, I had a, 
uh, a fight over a gun in a car with a round that discharged about an inch from my head. I had no training solution, never had any training for that, I had to kind of figure it out in a moment. And then uh, I had another event where I had a, a, multi, a two on one uh, where I was almost beat to death after a skull fracture. Um, and both of those events um, kind of, and, and a host of other smaller ones had um, me examine you know, my, my martial arts education and, and what I found after a lot of introspection and contemplation was, um, you know, a good 85% of my training just was not working. And it wasn't working because um, of the, the biggest failing of the vast majority of martial arts, traditional martial arts, and even modern defensive tactics, combative systems is a, is a distinct lack of pressure. Um, and also, they're always trained uh, out of context. They're always in, you know, uh, a, a gym or your double arms interval on a range. It's never um, in a car with an informant and a bad guy trying to make a dope deal when things blow up and you have to get a gun out. There are different circumstances on environments <clears throat> to um, apply motor skills. Yeah. So um, the UFC now, 98 is probably about um, five years old. And that model, that competitive model, if you remember uh, that time period, the UFC, kind of turned the world, the martial arts world on its head. And I thought that that modality of training and as importantly validation uh, would be a good lens to uh, evaluate some of these failures that I've had in my undercover tenure. So locally, because I have a collateral duty as an academy instructor, I had access to Block 17 T-guns. I had a ton of simunitions donated by the Navy. Uh, and we took that stuff and we took motorcycle helmets and we took the MMA gloves of the era. And, and for lack of really anything more sophisticated, we kind of created a local fight club and used all of that equipment well outside of the manufacturer's recommended guidelines for, for <laughs> conduct and safety. And, and that's a separate discussion about whether I should have done that. But it gave me a laboratory that previously um, did not exist outside of somebody else like me that was maybe doing similar stuff. And then after a couple of years doing that with the same eight or 10 guys, kind of much like the UFC, uh, some patterns <clears throat> of success and failure uh, began to emerge as far as, okay, we're successful here, we're successful here. And, and those patterns that came about organically, uh, what, what I quickly realized was that there were elements of combat sports, specifically wrestling and jujitsu, that provided great pathways to get to these end states that we had figured out organically, not really knowing what we were doing. Because, you know, they're, 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 when nothing exists, and, and there's no, there, there are no strategies, tactics, or techniques, nor training modalities to support the idea of shooting a guy locked up with him. Every best practice up to the point where I emerged on the scene, open enrollment suggested that the ECQ problem um, was somehow, some way, karate your way out, break range, and get to the gun. The training modalities that supported that were live fire on a B-27, usually on a, on a PPC turner, where, you know, you can't even touch the target and there's no resistance. It's flat, one-dimensional. Um, or guys would kind of, you know, half-ass around with blue guns without serious pressure, no protective equipment, and without the accountability of marking cartridges. So... We, we didn't we didn't really have any training modalities, you know, not whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I violated all those rules and did that. And that's kind of what begat um, the body of work that now is uh, from, you know, heavy focus and working on it until now uh, being taught, you know, routinely for 21 years in open enrollment and closed um that's 26 years i guess for the work close to it 25 98 and uh, yeah 25 25 years roughly yeah so that's wow. the that's the path 
you know, it, like you said about uh, training with the, the blue guns and the simunitions and, and the full on pressure. I, I did a course on, on this earlier this, this year. And, you know, having not been shot with sim rounds, I really was not looking forward to being shot with sim rounds. I mean, it, right. just something like that in the back of your head adds a, uh, a willingness to perform better. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't exist. Like you said, if you're in a gym with a blue gun, you know, it's kind of rote. Okay. Grab me here and here you go. But, um, th that, that, uh, active knowing that there was a result on the other end, if you messed up, uh, really intensified everything. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's so funny. Um, our paths are so, so similar. Um, we changed a lot of things. We had an incident that happened um, in my agency in the late 90s. And I had just taken over as the coordinator for the defensive tactics program for the department. And I had the director of training came down. We actually had a recruit class in DT training at the time. So he comes down into the gym and says, we have an incident that hit the news and I need you to come up here and look at a video. And I said, okay, we're going to break for lunch in 20 minutes. I'll be right up there. And he's like, nope, I need you right now. And I was like, yeah. And I, as I'm leaving, he, I asked him, I said, when did this occur and where is it from? Because we responded to a lot of use of force things and and things like that as far as for the news and he goes it was our officers it was last night and it was a a couple of guys that were you know this is this is really hard to say especially when you have things about police violence and things like that um the times that i have seen and i stood and worked a lot of cases for the city um, as a subject matter expert, there were so many times that I would see things go to excessive force strictly due to the fact that the person involved, the officer involved, was afraid to use enough force at the outset. He didn't begin strongly enough, and he got behind the eight ball, and then all of a sudden things got really ugly. So our director of training, we start heading towards the office and he, and he stops and looks at me and he says, I just need to know two things. Why the crap you guys teach doesn't work and what these guys did wrong. And I just thought, this is my very first engagement with him. And, and this is how it comes. So I... Uh, we go up and we look at this video and the, the man being arrested is huge. Winds up being our own kind of Rodney King incident for, for our department. Okay. And these guys deploy expandable batons with less than full effort. They're, they're doing those kind of strikes instead of, instead of hitting them as hard as you can, which is horrible to think about. And actually most of the population would, would be far more prone to use a firearm than to use that kind of violence against a human. You're gonna take a steel rod and you're gonna hit them as hard as you can. Most people do not have the mental capacity, the mental makeup to, to go to that place. And so I get up and I look at this thing and the, the defendant is huge. Um, neither one of my officers are big. They're, they're average size, just average. Nothing, nothing stands out about either of them physically. They're in shape. They're, they're not big fat bodies or anything like that. And it was horrible. Um, they just, they didn't want to hurt the guy. How long did it last? Oh, minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Minutes. Never, never should have gone that long. Um, 
But at one point in time, they've got the guy prone, they've got his arm up, and they're getting it. And the guy just turned his hand over and just curled it, just brought him back and actually just kind of sucked the officer down with him. Yeah. And I was like, oh, oh. Because if you hadn't shown me that, I don't know that I would have believed that he could have just done that. Um, so we watched the whole thing and I just went, and he, and he asked me, um, did these officers do anything wrong? And I said, yes, sir. And he got almost got excited. And he said, well, I said, that's not the way we train them to hit. Um, they didn't hit him hard enough. And now he looks just like, oh, my God, we can't say that on the news. And then follows, follows that up with, um, well, why does the stuff you teach not work? And I said, you give me two weeks to put people through. And the only thing we're allowed to do is, is things that are effective against people of average size, average strength, and zero skill set. And... He's like, what do we need to do to change? And I said, I, I have all kinds of things. I'll bring them to you, but you have to approve them. And our program just exploded after that. Nice. Um, it's one of those that it should be a model program in the country. Um, but, you know, we've got uh, all Americans from every facet of wrestling and um, international competitors and in jits and international competitors in judo and uh, outstanding Muay Thai guys and American boxing guys. So we just developed everything. Um, I brought I brought a, a knife trainer in, and it, and it wasn't to train us how to use knives. It was teach us how to do this, teach us what what we're going to see, and then we're going to develop stuff to to counteract. You know, you, you fight a guy with a knife, you are going to get wet. Let's just make that as minimal as we possibly can. Uh, yeah. That was the direction that we went with it. Um, yeah. Rob, one of the things you, you guys were bringing up before is there's levels of force that you can use, like where it starts and so forth. Mm -hmm. And um, what I'm hearing you say, and I think that we should kind of make this point is that had the officers used hundred percent force at the outset, they might've turned this man's uh, attitude around early and then not got into the heavier uses of force where they, I don't know if it was, he was shot or whatever, or, or just beaten for an hour until uh, he finally succumbed, you know, everybody's tired at that point, but, but the proper use, you know, like you hear some of the, the high end the seals training or something is explosive violence immediately solves most problems you know over over what looks like an overreaction in the beginning um sets the stage for not having that situation you're talking about so what tell the people what are the levels of force that they're you typically would teach oh goodness uh it, it it's even kind of the same that 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 we do with uh civilian stuff now um you know presence and verbal command is still the very first line and and the most usually effective. Um, there there are just times that we run across those guys that are committed, and a, a citizen use of force is different than a police use of force. I'm gonna let Craig get into that here in a bit, but I don't have an obligation to use force as a citizen, I have to know my mission. Um, so, you know, I always talk about the fact that every single fight I've been able to avoid, I've won. Winner, undefeated in everything that I've avoided. Um, there's just times that there are, there are bad actors that live in this world and, and sometimes they're intent on forcing their will on others. And we are training people that are out there trying to avoid somebody using that kind of force against them. So, um, you know, please, please go presence verbal and then everything builds slowly, but that can escalate really, really fast too. And I don't have to go through all the lower levels 
you can if, jump to level five. Yeah, if 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 the guy shows up and he's swinging a bat at me, I don't have to start going, sir. Please do this, do that. Um, but the things that Craig is putting out there now is is so good. Um, I don't know. I'm I. I, I still, I just tip my hat to you, sir, because uh, it is kind of the program, um, at least at least in this country. And obviously you're working outside as well. So um, kind of go into that a little bit about, about levels of force and, and where we're at. Because my mission now is in response. It's, it, I don't have an obligation to go take somebody into custody anymore. Right. Um, just as a quick aside, just to kind of, you know, uh, reiterate your, your story about uh, the development of your program. It was Oklahoma Cleat. Which, which yeah, program? That, that's the state uh, licensing agency that's right. a governing body. So, yes, I had to I had to get their blessings as well. Right. right. But we had our own program. Yeah. Here. OK. okay. Um, so on that note, every now and then, it's usually once in a career, you'll get an opportunity to make some lasting change. Yes. The problems of <laughs> law enforcement, use of force, perception of use of force, actual use of force are so myriad. They cover um, the hiring and selection process of people who are not predisposed to any kind of physical culture and have been raised post Columbine and zero tolerance for physical violence of any type who we pin badges on their chest and give them guns and expect them to uh, be nuanced and capable under uh, you know ambiguity and rapidly devolving circumstances uh, that are highly physical in nature and require like drag race level stop start ability, you know? And we, we give them a program, like most programs, that is generally designed to cover the agency, not to enhance the, the benefit or the survival of the officer. And we, yes. wonder, we wonder why this stuff happens, you know. Uh, and then, you know, you have the people, rank and file, who are doing the job. Um, we have people in the job who are, are, are interested in becoming uh, better at the craft, the art and craft of law enforcement. And then we have people on the job, usually in positions of power and authority, who spent their career working on their career. So they manage these people. And their, you know, uh, their their entire objective is keep that shit off me. You know, keep 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 that keep that well away from me. Um so yeah, it's it's no wonder that we have a, a an incapable, fearful, uh, disempowered, you know, population who's policing everyone. That's exactly why I could talk for that one for hours. Yes. But to your point about the differences between uh, a citizens program and a law enforcement program, you you pretty much nail it, Rob. I mean, I'm not trying to take someone into custody you know that's that's a citizen's arrest is for the most part rare so uh usually what i'm trying to do is go about my daily business and you know not be um uh, uh the victim of personal you know focused on me crime or um not get and these are you know anomalous not get stuck in the middle of something that that blows up explosively that we didn't see coming like a like an active shooter event how do you escape that safely can you escape that safely um but what's more interesting to me as far as a training component um in all of these issues is the um uh, is the moral component you know, is the uh, the ethical component. William April used to talk about who are you when you have a gun, you know, and that's a great question to ask yourself because would, would your behavior with a gun, is your behavior with a gun different 
than your behavior without a gun? Are you going to actually use the same amount of deselection, avoidance, heightened awareness with the pistol as without the pistol when you know that you have a problem-solving modality that you don't normally have? That effect is always interesting to me. Um, and, and to see who people are or who they become with a gun or as importantly, uh, who they are when they don't have a gun. So I, I think that's the, that's the first thing we have to ask ourselves, you know, and I'm not in the business of teaching morality. What, what I like to do is create circumstances where you can have, like, I do this at Range Mastery uh, for the Experiential Learning Lab, where you create a circumstance where 16 people have a blind, plausible uh, scenario that they walk into um, that has a whole bunch of different correct ways of solving the problem, you know, but it just depends on a lot of factors that you simply don't learn on ranges. You know, I'll, I'll briefly mention this one. So I do a scenario where I give them a very simple brief of, um, okay, you're, uh, it's currently 5 p.m. You're at your work site. Uh, there's a female coworker who is currently in the middle of a very contentious divorce. There was a restraining order in play. Everyone in the office is taking turns walking her to her car. It's your turn. Go. That's it. Limited information. Very plausible. So they'll walk out to a parking lot. They're wearing, they've got a gun. And of course, there's a training effect. They're like, you know, doing that. And um, my role players, they're weapon. And, um, you know, from a blind setup based upon the training location, I have another role, role, role player come out call the role player by name, Susan, Susan. She turns around. I need the keys to the house. She gets real aggressive. It's not your house. You don't need the keys. Blah, 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 blah. Well, there's a decision point right there. What does this guy with the gun do? Does he just go, nah, this is a coworker, not my circus, not my monkeys, and leave? Or does he immediately get a big S on his chest and go to dumb and intervene, physically put himself between her, who's more aggressive, and this guy. As soon as he touches one of them, my guy responds and says, hey, man, that's my wife. Don't touch my wife. It's none of your business. Get out of here. Goes back to focusing on the female role player. Yammer, yammer, yammer. Goes back. If he does it again, he pulls a pistol out, looks at the guy, is animated with the pistol, and says, I told you, get the F out of here. Now, one of two things is going to happen. Either the guy's going to see the gun and probably badly draw and start pawing because he did not see that coming. If it's really egregious, my guy, my role player, say, what are you doing? And if the guy has the mental capacity to be able to go, uh, nothing, and kind of just fade out, then my guy will probably shift his attention from that guy back to her. He still hasn't pointed a gun at anybody. He's got a gun in hand, okay? Or if the guy keeps trying to go on a botched draw, he will go ahead, raise it, and blast the guy in the face. So that's the first decision point. The guy fades out. Now, attention is shifted back to her during an argument. He, the female is largely, very observably louder than the male, who's mad, but he's still got the pistol in his hand. He's kind of jerky with the way he's gesticulating. Hadn't pointed a gun at her, hadn't pointed a gun at him. Second to sit, third decision point. He's got an option now when the guy's not focused on him to draw and shoot the dude right in the ear hole. Not an incorrect solution, okay? Or depending on his social literacy and emotional intelligence, maybe he's like, you know what? This looks like they've been there before. Maybe this is just Friday night for them. Because if he doesn't, here's what happens. She grabs the gun, snatches it out of his hand, and says, I bought you this gun. Now get the hell out of here. And he stomps off the emasculated male. So who you are with a pistol 
and your personality makeup and your ethics and your morality and your social literacy all kind of come out to give multiple answers. Some people, so as far as the shooting component, if, if it goes kinetic and it's a shoot problem, you win that through extreme skill or extreme guile. You wait your turn and you earn your draw, okay? Or, which, which is correct, or in the very beginning, you're just like, <laughs> you, and you just leave and leave them arguing in the parking lot because this is a coworker and march right back in and I'll usually call it then. So you will see out of 16 people, you'll see 16 different answers. Yeah. You will. It's a plausible scenario. It's fairly simple to set up, but uh, how you gauge the action is, is super important. And it tells you a lot about you know, look, this this person, like here's an here's a good example of something when I'm when I talk about like the emotional and the moral component of self-defense and how it drives things. We'll see people who get in trouble and get helped by a third party, right? A stranger that they don't know. Third party intervenes, pulls people apart, third party gets in trouble, right? Now we're at a moment where they have a decision. A stranger just helped me. Am I obligated to help the stranger in kind? Now, that's a hard one, right? Because I'll ask people, it's like, hey man, why'd you jump back in there? You had a clear opportunity to go. Well, he helped me. And this is one of those times where, you know what? <laughs> I'm not saying this makes you a good person. But if you have a level of ruthlessness that allows you to walk away from a stranger who needs help that just helped you, that might be a really good survival thing. And, and how do you live with that, that, you know, um, that level of functional sociopathy? How do you live with that? And are you okay with that? Right? So if that, they that, do that they wouldn't even notice that there was a problem with them doing that. Yeah, right. And uh, it, it's interesting, you know, when we when we start. See, I think that stuff, the the the, you know, the 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 moral and the ethical and the emotional components of opposed training. I think that stuff still is in. It's stages of infancy, like how we do it, the effect, how to set it up, what you're trying to achieve, you know, as far as motor skills coming out, that, but the actual decision making. And I tell people all the time, I said, look, you're not going to learn that kind of nuanced, uh, multimodal decision making on a flat range shooting a piece of paper with colored tart with colored you know triangles numbers and stuff like that that's an interesting curiosity in live fire modality but that that does not trend that that does not equal decision making correct decision making the only way to do that is get out there with human beings add a little bit of nuance and ambiguity some opposition uh, some freedom of action within reason and some possibly some malevolent intention and watch and see what you do and watch others do the same. You know, I think um, that, so that's kind of what I do when it comes to levels of force or, you know what, they'll experience something like that. And they're like, they're kind of dejected sometimes, you know, and, and again, it's a judgment free zone. There's no shame. Right. I mean, it's an experience without consequence. That's what it's designed to do. And uh, they'll think about it for a second. And they're like, hey, um, you know, that moment when he like, you know, looked at me and told me to get out of there, would that be a good moment maybe to spray that guy with OC? Possibly, absolutely. Could I do that? Depends. But could you? Sure. Fairly low level of force. If you hose that guy, if you painted that guy orange and walk her back in the building, call 911, lock doors, 
and so there's a restraining order in place. This guy showed up at a work spot. You know, uh, would you get criminally charged? Doubtful in most places. Doubtful, especially if you're using the OC to break contact. So that's where we start looking at like the more, the more nuanced levels of force. And I never had really cared for those models of ascension or descension that are linear, like use of force pyramid, use of force ladder, you know, um, it doesn't really connote the mercurial nature of actual real world events. Absolutely. Yeah. I know absolutely. I thought, I'm sorry. It was a lot of hammering. No, that's, that's, it's perfect information. Um, you know, it, it is. And, and when someone's looking at the same situation, like they're watching those drills or whatever, but um, it's the same thing on a videotape. Somebody's watching the same thing on a videotape and they, they don't see, or maybe there's no audio on the tape. They don't hear what the guy's yelling or the intensity that's involved in that. They just see something happen and make a 12 people make a, a judgment on somebody else's life. Um, you know, that case in, is it Austin that just happened? Uh, the Uber driver? The conviction? Driver? The conviction of that guy? Yeah, yeah. Surprising. Surprising. That's an activist, you know, prosecutor. And because know. Rob and I talk about that all the time. You know, you yeah. doing the right thing and uh, you've got a Soros prosecutor in your town, you're... Yeah. I, think I think we've all learned that probably, you know, the two biggest races that matter as far as what immediately impacts you are mayors and prosecutors. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that... You know, we've we've discussed that a little bit. We we try to stay out of the political arena, but but you are absolutely correct. It, it's who your district attorneys are and things like that. Those people are going to set they're going to set the tone for where you live. Um, and and sheriffs, sheriffs also look at uh, Riverside I'm County. Sure. Yeah. Chad Bianco, you know, he's doing such a great job up there, and he's he's all pro. He, he's an awesome guy had him on my show a few times but um compare him to some of the other sheriffs in the same state you're going to get totally different treatment as a citizen and that's not right well I, I love what you're talking about there craig as far as addressing the moral part of this addressing the ethical part of this you know i can i can we can walk in the do dojo i can teach you any number of throws i can we can do Nawaza and, and work on joint locks and chokes and anything else you want to work on down there. Um, we can walk out on the range and, and, you know, how fast can you make this thing go accurately and do all of these things, but understanding that every time you go, go into something in a real live use of force, that window is always opening and closing. And when the windows open, I can do a whole lot of things, but it may shut really fast. Um, one of the things I did probably, well, over 20 years ago is I would, I'd start making uh, my recruits answer a question for me. And I was like, we all know the, the danger of responding to a domestic call. And um, I want to leave with my, my arrestee and leave them with as much uh, self-esteem as possible and not do anything to like denigrate him in front of his family and his kids. Um, but you go in and it's like, the guy's like, nope, I'm not going. And you have to handcuff him there in the living room and you're getting ready to leave. And all of a sudden, the, the son comes charging down the, the hallway, and he's got a knife above his head, and he's screaming and hollering, you're not taking my dad. And I asked a whole classroom of recruits, shoot, don't shoot. Shoot. Okay. Let me give you a little, a little pause there. This kid is nine. Shoot, don't shoot. I think I have the ability to work around that one without having to kill a child, um, but the morality, the the ethical considerations, you have to do what you're doing 
and, and put people into a reality-based training scenario where it's so much more than just the physical act of what the things I'm doing. That's where you have set that bar, I think. Um, it, it's something that, that we did with our police academy a couple of decades ago. It, it's what we started doing. But to know that, that uh, any of us out here can hop on and, and check your stuff and go, man, I'm going to go take training with that guy and his crew. Yeah. That's, the, that's the place where I'm going to make those kind of decisions. And you know, our COO, uh, Stan Campbell, Stan always, always says, the first thing you should think about is, how would I handle this if I didn't have a gun with me? Period. Uh, and there's times that you and I are both well aware of that the only way out of this uh, is because I'm armed. But those cases are so rare. Um, it's just not my primary concern. My primary concern should be um, my relative safety. And, and that depends on my awareness a lot of the times, uh, you know, I, I love the fact that guys are working in there and they're going from concealment one second, one round on paper or whatever it is. That's a great skill set. But if I need a one second draw to win, um, I'm failing, I'm failing in the intellectual game and, it, and it's not a game. I mean, that's, that's the, the live or die part of it for me. John Howman and I uh, did a podcast recently on the Filster channel, and uh, th that entire discussion regarding trading dollars for pennies as far as chasing tenths and tenths and tenths of a second, yes. and there's a, there's a ton of currency uh, before that, but uh, we, we describe that as the time before the beep, you know? Yes. The time before the beat and, and that stuff, you know, I, I personally think, I mean, I, I, there, there's no one I'm not able to diminish in training. And I don't care what level of athlete they are. I don't care if they're the highest level JSOC commando and I've been training for all of them. I, I can, I can diminish people and affect their motor skill performance with, with novelty. You know, John Hearn talks about the problems with novelty and, and told me, I don't know if this is a compliment or, 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 or you know, a, a criticism that John described me as the master of the emotional bookmark, which I'm like, I think that's, a, I think that's accurate. But uh, one thing I, I'd like to, you know, in, in what you mentioned, Rob, when you talked about presence, your presence being you know, uh, the, the first element of force. On that note, it has to be authentic. Authenticity is the biggest part of presence. And when people talk about just, you know, wanting to exude, you know, wanting to be confident, you know, be confident is one of those, how do you be confident? Right. Again, it's like be aware, mindset, check your six. It, it's well-intentioned advice that's generally not actionable. So here's the thing. Here's how you get confidence. You are competent. Competency and experience and exposure will give you confidence. And if you have confidence, then that will be read. When you're teaching a range range master. Um, and, um, uh, this is back before, when Tom still had the old range in Memphis. So it was like, I don't know, maybe, uh, and I was still in the job, like maybe, oh, six, so seven, somewhere around there. And, uh, I was only teaching one day. I was getting up early Sunday morning, driving back. I was in blue jeans and a t-shirt, pair of sneakers, didn't have any cop logoed 9-11, anything on me, but, uh, I'm gassing up and a guy rolls up and I can tell, you know, he's local wildlife. Like I corral up, 
you know, weekly on street corners in my county where I live, you know, and he's walking up and he sucks his teeth at me and he kind of starts, you know, side angling. He says, hey, man, you ain't got a little something in your pockets, do you? And I looked at him, thought to myself, I said, nah. And I took a step towards him, pointed at him. I said, but you're not, you're not on paper, are you? You got any warrants? And I looked at him and he immediately was like, hey, no, man, I'm good. And just, you know, walked <laughs> on. You never showed him a badge, never showed him a gun, never showed him there. There's no observable color of authority. However, it's authentic because I do that and I did that and I still can pull that off. So plays like that, the 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 whole realm of soft skill, you know, part of presence is authenticity. And what I tell people is don't pose, you know. Well, I raised my voice. Yeah, you did, but you sounded scared when you did it. Yes. You know, so it's not authentic and you're not projecting confidence. Yeah, that's it it is uh it's it's an extreme confidence. It it really is. It's not a it's not a poser thing. No. Because especially with predators. I mean, yeah, that get you killed. You know, yeah, you know those guys, they read body language as good as anybody you'll ever meet. They they understand when you're prey. Um so you know, we we answer questions like that for command all the time about, you know, why does this guy have all these uses of force and you don't? And I you know those 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 young guys that are out there on the streets that are that are predators, they understand how to they they recognize. Um, well, and, and and I would even look kind of like you were talking about Rob about like oh you know confident guy unconfident guy on the on the on the on the side of the badge on the other side on the on on that side. Honestly, I think of fearful, feral, young, aspiring criminal is far more unpredictable and dangerous than an established pro, you know. Um, that's the guy who's looking to impress other people. That's the guy who steps up and, uh, you know, shoot you in the back of the head because of a sideways glance, right? That that kind of thing. You know, a guy who's looking to do <clears throat> a little time in prison, looking to show everybody. Uh, I, and, and even, and those kids essentially are scared, right? They're scared <clears throat> of being preyed on and they want to commit this act that will make everybody that's so crazy that will make everybody get, you know, stay away from him. So they're not preyed upon and they have a respect. So I, I would say that kid is, is he's probably the most dangerous one. And I know, I knew a few of those growing up who I watched age throughout their gangster life as I aged throughout my cop life. And it's, it's fun to watch them, like age out, I ran into one. In fact, I wrote a story about it on my uh, IG uh, and my Facebook a few years ago. But it was just a recognition of, uh, hey, man, how are you? I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm building houses. Good, man. You still doing all that kung fu stuff you used to? Yeah, I am. Dude, you look good. You look good, too. I'm glad we made it. I'm glad we made it, too. How's that? Like, <clears throat> but it, it's just, it's interesting. It's interesting, uh, too. <clears throat> Yeah. Craig, give me a quick little taste for our viewers of of programming that you have and where they where they might want to start or prepare themselves to get involved and started with you. Um, kind of step by step, where were the what what kind of things do you offer and how how would you recommend guys to to start looking towards building that skill set in themselves and talking about just everyday guys that are 
concealed carriers and and just wanting to make themselves uh, just safer, their community yeah. safe. And, and what color clinch pick to get? What color <laughs> clinch pick? <laughs> well, Tiffany blue if you want to be pretty. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have four stable <clears throat> open enrollment courses that I do. And then I'll teach usually at the range master conference uh, annually. And there may be like, you know, like the shooter symposium I'll teach there. Uh, I think I'm supposed to teach there next April. And then, um, and maybe an event or two here and there that I do just like, uh, uh, like usually that blind scenario that I described something like that. But so the four uh, courses are extreme close quarters concept ECQC, and that's described on the Chivalrous website as an overview <clears throat> of functional handgun skills at zero to five feet. Uh, it is about uh, 25 hours uh, in two and a half days uh, from uh, Friday night, uh, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Saturday from 8 to 7, 8 in the morning to 7 p.m. and then Sunday from uh, 8 to 7 also. Um, the, the focus on that is interdisciplinary. It's a half day of live fire and a half day of uh, building a base of wrestling and jujitsu uh, to learn how to incorporate the range work into that. And then doing that with some, we cover uh, uh, the soft skills that I teach, the strategy template managing unknown contacts, along with uh, the lecture on criminality called the criminal soul paradigm. We do that on Friday night. And then Sunday, we wrap all that stuff together into full spectrum, um, immersive, experiential uh, evolutions where, uh, again, a lot of ambiguity and there's, uh, you, you may be able to walk away from stuff. You may, you know, end up talking your way out of something or you may end up on the ground getting beat up uh, by two guys and shot with your own pistol, you know. Um, so that's the uh, gun course. Edged Weapons Overview essentially is the knife version of that course. Uh, it's two full days, uh, no groundwork in that one, unlike ECQC. Uh, and the, uh, the the emphasis is on is on demystifying what defending yourself with a small knife actually looks like. You know, that's the big focus of that course. So I have one gun course, one knife course. Um, armed movement and structures, which is not live fire, it's airsoft. That's two uh, full days. The Saturday is a, uh, about a 14 and a half hour day because there's a low light component. And then uh, Sunday is uh, 11 hours on schedule, 10 hours training. So that's a lot of training in two days. But that's my take on an interior movement problem. It's not necessarily always shoot. <clears throat> uh, when you're by yourself, you have limited resources and you have no support. So it's you in your underwear with a uh, Glock 19 maybe and uh, an incandescent flashlight, you know. <laughs> and then finally, we have uh, my, my car class, vehicle combatives and shooting tactics. That is an alumni-only class. You have to do ECQC to get into that class. It takes all the content from ECQC, and essentially uh, we do that inside and around cars. Um, so we uh, have a big uh, four, four and a half hour uh, interior fighting component with that. And then there's a live fire component with that too. So they're, they're, those are the four that I teach and, um, you know, I update the website, um, like I'm getting ready to put the uh, third quarter up, I believe here in the next week. In your vehicle course, do you get to shoot Priuses? If you guys have a Prius and uh, you want to bring it and shoot the Prius, because I think that's cathartic. If you exactly. Want to, <laughs> if you want to shoot the Prius, uh, I would absolutely let you do that. That's awesome. <laughs> so, what's the website, Greg? Tell them, tell them how to get. Shivworks.com is uh, the website with the training. And Shivworks Products Group, shivworkspg.com is uh, where the knives are at. So. Awesome. Man, brother, thank you so much. Um, oh, thank you. I've got to get back hooked up with you. Um, we got to do it again, get chapter two. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Love to come back, guys. Yeah, we appreciate you so much, brother, and that work that you're putting in all over the all over the place. Um, guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, hop in next week again. Uh, as always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can reach me directly at Rob, R-O-B, at ccwsafe.com. Thanks, guys. God bless.